Hey, welcome back to the 89th episode of the OpVac cast. It's part two of our Oscar extravaganza for the year 2020. And, uh, I mean, I'm hungover, but I already feel like I need a few more drinks. Uh, this is, this is going to be a rough go for us. <laughs> but thankfully, here to support me, I've got Sean Glynis. Hello, Steve. Sean, you sound pretty peppy today. Did you, did you not go hard last uh, night? Uh, I didn't. I uh, should have. You probably should have, man. If by go hard you mean got uh, a, a concrete mixer from Culver's, then yes. That would that would actually go pretty hard for me. I, I don't think I'd be here today if I if I had that much dairy in my system. Uh, we also got we got Myros here. He's still living on a farm and still surrounded by a wild pack of dogs. Uh, Myros, have you killed all the animals in your house yet? No, no. You know, the animals, they sustain us here. Yeah. Why is... Uh, <laughs> Every time I talk to you, it's like it's like the fucking turkey scene from Christmas Story. Why is that? That was like that was like a line <laughs> stolen from A Quiet Place too. <laughs> that would involve me having any point of reference for uh, a Christmas story, and I've I've never seen the fucking thing. So You've not, how, how do you not even see it by accident? It literally runs for twenty four hours. Every like it's not just on in your in your home. Like your uncle's not turning that shit on. I mean, I've seen like uh, bits and bobs on. Uh, on accident, but you know, as soon as it starts going, I'm like, "Well, fuck this! Change the fucking channel." That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Jake's here. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Steve, how are you? I'm alive. Uh, that's that's really all we can. That's all we can, can hope ask for, for at this point. Yeah, yeah, really. You guys are lucky for that. I'm I'm got this cold sweat thing going right now. It's pretty cool. Uh, mm. Jack Easton is also joining us. Yeah, how's it going? Well, we clarified how it's going for you. Uh, I feel a bunch, much better than you do, um, but that will change. That's good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad we have a titular Irishman on the podcast today. Uh, <laughs> we also have, uh, you know, in, in my ongoing quest to give Jack shit about everything under the sun, uh, I have brought an Englishman on the show today. Uh, you can read his work on uh, Digital Fix and Film Inquiry and probably a lot of other places, too, but I didn't bother to Google all of his bylines. Alistair Ryder's here. Hey, glad to be glad to be back and uh, acting as a Brexit correspondent uh, for this oh. week. Thank you, man. How's Boris's hair looking? Uh, oh, it's as, as magnificent as ever. Yeah. Oh my god! I just want to spread that big mayonnaise boy on a sandwich. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love that guy. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a leg man, and he's got him. That's that's really what it's all about. And, and I know that uh, Jack's a big fan. He came over here to, to canvas for him uh, last December. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true. We talk about the Mayo candidates, you know, Boris Johnson, Pete Buttigieg, just oh, amazing range. Oh, Jesus, is there anything better than watching Pete Buttigieg try and eat a cinnamon roll like a chicken wing? I just love that little rat face fucker. I love all his little human impersonations. <laughs> so fucking good. Oh. You guys want to go to a breakfast potluck anytime soon? <laughs> Sing that's your favorite song, up. the national anthem. Yep. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be cool if we were making any of that up and that wasn't actually shit he said in public? Yeah. That's, it's pretty cool that none of that's a joke. We're just, we're just talking about shit that's real. 
All right, boys. Well, we better dive right into this because uh, we got a couple movies that we probably have a few nice things to say about, and then a couple that are going to make me want to jump off my roof. So uh, let's let's just dive right into it. So contrary to popular belief, The Irishman is not a decade-spanning story of the life of Jack Eason, from his humble beginnings in Limerick to his current life as a proud dog father with an embarrassingly large collection of Jez Franco DVDs. It's actually a decade-spanning look at the intertwining lives of Italian mobsters and teamsters. Uh, it's also kind of one of America's greatest filmmakers interrogating mob movies after spending his career making them. Uh, or if I guess if you really want to get weird about it, it's Scorsese's Forrest Gump. Gentlemen, let's talk about The Irishman. I mean, you say it's Scorsese's Forrest Gump. I think of it more as like Scorsese's tribute to uh, the films of Kevin Smith and uh, with Anna Paquin taking up the uh, <laughs> Silent Bob role. I mean, like in Chasing Amy, you're waiting all through the film for this emotional speech, and then you know Silent Bob comes in, he gives it, and that's you know what Anna Paquin is, is here to do in The Irishman. That's that's exactly it. You know, you know what we should do. Why don't we Why don't we all collectively write ten think pieces about how Anna Paquin was robbed? Do you think that would be good for the discourse? Well, see, I think the performance really speaks for itself. <laughs> I, yeah, that's sometimes the best thing to say is is nothing at all. All yeah. right, well, we cover this one in <laughs> <laughs> detail. And the Irishman scene. <laughs> I thought that she, that she was. Uh, it reminded me a lot of um, one of my favorite. Uh, videos this year, which was uh, or from last year, which was Lights Camera Jackson's Booksmart review. Oh yeah. <laughs> See, I was just wondering if we were going to make that uh, biopic about Jack, that why would we cast adult Jack as as five year old Jack? At, at try and pull that off. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that would be the wisest choice. But I'm I'm a good enough actor. I can hide my 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 older physique. Try to let's light up his acting exercises, get like a baby, do all that stuff. It'll, I, you know. I think as soon as like Netflix get wind of that being in production, they'll throw the money to do the aging technology for it again. Uh, <laughs> it's got another sort of sign of a four quadrant tempo blockbuster about it. I think. Yeah, well, everyone's interested in my story. Um, someday I'll share it. You'll be very lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of over the de-aging stuff. I, I mean, I don't even want to talk about it because we I've already learned Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within in like 1998, that taught me that you don't actually need people like uh, CGI is is lifelike and that's all you're ever going to need. So I will I will say for the de-aging, because, OK, this film is great. It's a really good film. We joke yeah, it's around. Fucking awesome. It's really it's a really good film. As I we do... verbally shitpost our way through one of the best <laughs> movies of 2019. <laughs> Man, if this thing won Best Picture, I, I couldn't complain. Um, it would be way better than their usual performance. But I do find the the de-aging is, it's strange. Um, I didn't, it like, it's not like I was watching going like, this is, uh, you know, this is making the film worse for me. Like, this is drawing me out of the film. But it definitely makes a couple of unusual problems. And I do wonder, because, I mean, Scorsese films, I think, really enter kind of the, the public vernacular in re-watching and showing up on TV and kind of playing. A lot of people watch Scorsese films almost as like a hangout movie as a kind of a familiar thing. You know, Goodfellas and Casino and Wolf of Wall Street are just great movies just throw on whenever. I do, I'm curious about the legacy of this one that, you know, the more people stare at Uncanny Valley, Robert De Niro, will it become more distracting and confusing? I'm really, I'm not sure. And I mean, I've... I have never watched any of Robert Zemeckis's Uncanny Valley films, and I'm not really up on, I, you know, I don't watch many of the Marvel movies, so I'm like, I'm out of this sphere of technology, so this is kind of an unusual 
singular thing that I was looking at. So I don't really have a lot of a frame of reference. So I, I don't know if, you know, a couple of years down the line, people would be like, I really like that movie, but I really wish they'd cast different people. They didn't cast Robert De Niro to play 28-year-old Robert De Niro. But I guess we'll guess we'll see. Yeah, for me, it's, it's kind of like a the less you know, the better situation because... In the beginning of the movie, it's like, oh, this is younger Robert De Niro. And I'm thinking, oh, he's probably 40. It's like, no, he's 28 years old. And <laughs> but I but I didn't know that until later. So it really it's it's the less you know, the better scenario. And it definitely passes the dad test, which I think is the ultimate benchmark for something like this, where if, if my dad's not complaining about it, I probably shouldn't worry about it too much in a situation like this. Which is great because it's about being a terrible father, like just. <laughs> absolutely awful father and yet oh, yeah. exemplifies still so many of the characteristics that most dads enshrine most holy among them of yeah. not talking or expressing any feelings and maybe beating someone up although most dads it's imaginary but it's like i would do it if i had to but my kid needs to learn stuff so it's fine if people are mean to them you know but not robert de niro dad so yeah definitely definitely a strong dad movie even though it brings certain paradoxes with it yeah, it's 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 definitely a shitty dad movie. I think that's why my dad was so into it. You know, it's it's hard to get the guy to sit down for three and a half hours, but when he's just like, I totally get this, like Bobby De Niro, that's me. You know, that makes sense. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I got past the de aging stuff pretty quick, and it didn't bother me for anyone except for De Niro, just because they like verbally in the script are like constantly referring to him as much younger than everyone else. Like, ah, oh, the the new kid will go help out down the road, and and again, it it does have that uh, really, really poor choice to have him uh, try beat up the shopkeep where he just looks like yeah. a ridiculous, doddering old man. <laughs> like, there is the no CG of that, that scene is absurd. Yeah, that stomp is really, really terrible when he kicks the guy on the ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beyond yeah. that, I mean, I, I agree this is a good film. It's not, it's not a film that's in my wheelhouse at all. I, I don't much care for Scorsese's mob epics that's not the lane i really enjoy him in most and uh but yeah that being said i'm not i'm not going to complain about this movie when we look at what else we're going to be viewing today so <laughs> <laughs> i will say yeah. my my thought coming out of this film is um I like what i like about this film and like about a lot of scorsese's gangster films and kind of the older i get i think the more i appreciate it is that i feel like scorsese is actually kind of like the the keeper of American fairy tales, in a sense, that, like, America's a new country. It doesn't have, like, the old-school medieval fairy tales of Europe or ancient, you know, other older countries. Um, so Scorsese's kind of cautionary tales about capitalism and the kind of, like, ethnicities grouping together and working together and then facing off against each other and trying to exact influence and control... Uh, this, you know, the, it kind of just feels like this grand, and like you mentioned, Forrest Gump. It's like Forrest Gump, except good. And that's, you know, <laughs> like actually actually grasping the nettle, not under, you know, the kind of like, everything's great and we're all nice people, so it's fine. You know, you, should, you know, a couple of slip-ups along the way. I mean, this film is basically just a series of slip-ups, just degrading decent ideals and just dragging just the weight of them being pulled down until by the final film or the close of the film it's kind of like there's nothing left um so yeah I, I think that's an interesting kind of detail to me is that i think scorsese has lost none of his ability to chronicle to kind of make america comprehensible on a grand scale but with a very critical eye and uh yeah i think this is this is really good i mean it's just firing on all cylinders 
it's it's much less i guess uh, exciting and violent than his other films if that's why you're going there which you probably shouldn't be um because guess what most of his films are not about good people so don't get into the violence too much but um a really uh, just a really solid solid dad slash old man movie uh, Jack, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure that this movie is about how white male rage kicks ass. I don't know if that's, you know that or not. That's definitely a reading I've heard. I, I saw I saw an SNL clip that, that affirmed this for me because uh, Colin Jost has his fingers on the pulse of American culture. So we, we got this all figured out. I just cannot imagine watching this movie and thinking a mate, like an intended takeaway is that violence is cool. <laughs> well, I'm just confused because Jack said his movies aren't about good people, and his most famous movie is actually called Goodfellas. I mean, <laughs> See, yeah. Yeah. Adam, you got to read between the lines. That's that's yeah. art. That's great that's fucking guys. Uh, he's got a movie called Casino, and casinos are fun as hell. So I don't see what you're getting at here, buddy. And that movie, and that movie is three hours about how much fun casinos are. Yeah, exactly. Let me guess. Let me guess. The Last Temptation is about how Christ is a bad guy, Jack. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. No, yeah. he was a really good, like, just really cool American dude. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Hugo's just a big piece of shit. Well, everyone dislikes uh, that movie except for yeah, me. I think. Sure. <laughs> I've never seen it. So you're it's probably fine. better off that way. Yeah, just ignore that one. Mm. Uh, it's good. It's good. Do not know. We'll have no Hugo hate here. <laughs> I think one of the best things about The Irishman is the fact that it has inspired like so much great writing and so much sort of thoughtfulness uh, about its themes. And uh, one person who, you know, who's writing who I've been really inspired by uh, on The Irishman, uh, somebody who often thinks about things of mortality because he views film from a Buddhist perspective, is, uh, that is <laughs> David Falacci. Uh, and, and he has written uh, a long blog post uh, about the ending of The Irishman, which is mostly him recounting an anecdote of him speaking to a working-class guy, uh, quote-unquote, who was watching The Irishman the day before he spoke to him, that eventually, by paragraph seven, goes into him then recounting how it reminded him of watching an episode of Parks and Rec. It's, it's great stuff. Uh, oh, Jesus. At his best. God, I, you know, I, I don't have... The, the capacity in my life to, to read more of Devin Faraci's Cinema Sangra blog, which is unfortunate, but uh, I, I have a, a maximum of three ulcers at a time in my stomach, and I, I, I can't take on another one right now. So uh, but thank you for doing the Lord's work on that one, Alistair. Yeah, I really appreciate I, your work. I felt if I was going to be, you know, coming back on top, I needed to bring some articles in this. So, you know, I've got some Faraci, and I've got another uh, equally uh, great uh, film writer, uh, the one and only Alison M, uh, vegan food herself. Uh, I've got her take on a, on the Irishman in front of me, uh, which is fantastic. Um, a personal favourite paragraph and this is Jimmy Hoffa doesn't drink, but it's okay to eat Lund's hot dogs that are made with beer. Hmm. An inconsistency for sure, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not so horrible. <laughs> Oh, no. I, I'm so glad that the greatest minds in film criticism are, are really digging deep into these. I, I, I appreciate that on so many levels. Um, I'm, I'm still waiting an old for... film crit Hulk could, could pull together out a three and a half hour movie. Oh, geez. Approximately uh, 100,000 words. words. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I'm so sad I undersold. Uh, the Irishman does get vegan points, though. Um, but just, just one word, vegan points, watermelon. 
So <laughs> guess vegan pods featuring watermelon. Congrats, Scorsese. Boozy watermelon. Yeah, yeah. That's vegan favorite. Just an absolute classic at all your uh, your your summer potlucks. Got to have that one. That's that's a good Midwestern one as well. Uh, I, I, yeah, for me, this movie is. I, I was kind of blown away by it, honestly, because I'm I'm with Myros, where a lot of Scorsese's mob epics don't really hit home for me the way they do for some people. I've I've never been a huge Goodfellas fan. I, I appreciate it and I enjoy it, but I don't absolutely love it. It's just not something that I ever care to really revisit. <laughs> uh, but I just I just thought this was great, and the way that it, the way that it works, just looking at how these terrible men in their lives just sort of disintegrate and they just turn into you know old piles of dead shit uh it's it's just interesting to see scorsese do this kind of movie because i think he's the only filmmaker only active american filmmaker that can make the irishman and and make it as successful as it is for me at least um it's it's just nice it it hits all the right notes and it's nine hours long but it, it doesn't feel that way and that's always a bonus too and I think if if you're gonna give this the best picture, sure, fucking do it, man. That's I'm totally on board with that. Unfortunately, it's the year of Jojo Rabbit, so it's no, it's not getting it's not getting the best picture. You're right. We got we got to go yeah. with the, the the Nazi hug fest. That's <laughs> that's clearly the one that's gonna come out on top here. Uh, all right. Well, I think I mean we pretty much said everything we need to say about this one. It's a great movie. If you haven't checked it out yet, fucking do it. Uh, you know, it's on Netflix. Uh, don't download a torrent. It's too big. It'll it'll take you too long. So, uh, you know, go get your, your your free two weeks of Netflix and check this one out. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and move on to our next movie, and it's the only film this year that brought together uh, Baumbach and Samheim fanatics in a bid to finally settle America's long-standing East Coast versus West Coast beef. It's also the film that inspired untold numbers of online hacks to take to Twitter and boldly proclaim, more like divorce story, and then bump that late-night nugget for the morning crowd, baby. It's Marriage Story. Uh, Myros, what do you think of Marriage Story? Uh, I had complicated feelings on this one, I'd say. Uh, it seemed to be pitched more toward me. Uh, it's the sort of film I generally tend to fall for, but I, I thought it had quite a bit of scripting issues. I think it had incredibly powerful moments throughout the film, uh, probably most prominently the Sondheim uh, crowd there that you were mentioning, but uh, I, I don't know. It also followed that really powerful moment up with this fucking clumsy thing where a child is reading out uh, a letter about how cool his dad is, and it's just like so calculated to make the audience feel something and cry and... Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. fuck that. But I mean, all in all, Driver is fucking incredible in this movie. And wait, I, I have an important question for you, though. Yeah. Do you think both The Irishman and Marriage Story could have benefited from rolling credits with uh, Old Man by Neil Young playing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why not? Yeah, sure. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is a, a good movie, a solid uh, inclusion here but it, it's not something i'll ever really go back to i think it, it there's just some really fatal flaws in the way it's constructed yeah i'm just glad i got to watch it with my wife that felt good <laughs> yeah I would, I would agree with with adam on this one um although funnily enough i thought the sondheim moment i just that rang totally hollow to me uh, i just i 
didn't really care about that part. But I, I guess that's symptomatic of the, the larger film, which I agree. I think it's a very solid film. It's it's one of those films you can tell is just very well studiously assembled and made. And I, I just my overriding feeling from it was as enjoying it but not loving it was that it it feels even when it gets a little messy, it feels very consciously like assembled in that sense. It it feels very neat. Um, like it's a very constructed sort of portrait of a mess. Um, and I think it's maybe that's they, they wanted to catch something that felt very unsparing and real. And it doesn't feel that way to me. It still feels very consciously composed and organized and fastidiously written. Um, and that kind of, you know, sort of just had that awareness of it throughout. I couldn't settle into the film. You know, it never, it never brought me over that bar, despite having, as Myra says, like several, there's several very good scenes in it, there's several very funny scenes in it. Um, but yeah, there was that. And, and also I feel like all of the advertising for the film was kind of like the dual perspectives, just, you know, of the wife and the husband. And then watching the film, it's very much felt to me it was the husband's perspective mm-hmm. kind of dominates. Say we stay with the wife for the first 30 minutes or so, or 45 minutes maybe. And then it feels like after that, it really turns into, like, I feel like there's no, Bombog doesn't really get into the, the wife's perspective on anything. Everything that's said about her is kind of an, uh, an observation from someone else. Whereas yeah. the husband, it feels like they're much more, he's much more in his skin, which is, you know, not necessarily a flaw, but I, I just something that I felt um, kind of a limitation on the film. And maybe I think the film didn't want that limitation, didn't embrace it. I think it was something you just mm-hmm. couldn't get around. Yeah. And I think I've seen some people discussing this movie and some common criticisms are the way that the the titular marriage story here is framed is you know Adam Driver is the is the sympathetic character and you know Scarlett Johansson is this horrible monster but i think just because of the timeline that they have in place all of the the terrible shit that Adam Driver has done and how he was not a great husband that's sort of you know in the past off screen and it's talked about where we're seeing Scarlett Johansson being kind of a dick throughout the movie like explicitly so yeah, it it, do, it does have that framing problem, but also that's a timeline problem, and and so it, it runs into that issue. But I, I agree with you that it, it is it's weird in the way that it portrays this very messy situation uh, in a way that's simultaneously heartbreaking, but also kind of funny. But it, it all feels very constructed, which is I mean that's Bombach to a T, pretty much. Uh, and I will also say that my favorite performance, underrated. One of the best performances of last year. Let's give it up for Wallace Shawn, who embodies as himself. every as himself, every like old ass senior citizen you've ever seen at like an off Broadway play or like any sort of local theater production is just is just pure Wallace Shawn. It's beautiful. I really I really do want to believe that Shawn did like just improvised that all of his lines about like crazy sex parties and stuff was just him making shit up, knowing where he was in the play or in the in the screenplay but probably not i feel like everything was uh, you know that q a question of how much is this improvised none of us i don't think um yeah and yeah. so it goes it's it's a very it's a good film but yeah it feels very packaged up sure uh jake how about you what did you think about this one uh, i think this movie is excellent um I, I think uh, I think Adam Driver maybe maybe gives his career best performance in this movie, which is uh, it's kind of great that he can do something like this. And also, 
dredges way through Star Wars in the same year. Um, but yeah, it's very much like the no improv thing. It's very like immaculately scripted uh, in the, the arguments that they have. And Scarlett Johansson has this really good monologue uh, early on. Um, and I also want to like give a shout out to not just well as Sean, but like Alan Alda is terrific in this movie. I think Ray, Ray mm-hmm. Liotta is really good and funny oh. in this movie. And he's like um, purple. He's yeah. absolutely purple. The whole time. To, he is on the verge of death. I had to pause it to Google and see if it was actually him because my eyes were deceiving me. But um, yeah, I have no real complaints against uh, Marriage Story. Um, and I yeah. think uh, I think, you know, obviously the the argument has been memed to death on Twitter, but I think. Probably the the sequence where he's the social worker is just observing his life and he accidentally cuts his wrist um, is one of the better sequences from last year. Um, it's yeah, it's I yeah, like I said, no real complaints. It's a very good movie. Yeah, Leota, uh, this is his best performance since he did those uh, blue vape pen commercials. Uh, just, <laughs> Chantix. Yeah. Oh, the Chantix, sorry. Blue vape pen, who is that? That was another actor that isn't getting enough work these days. Uh, fuck. That's gonna bug me. Stephen Dorf. Oh, the Dorf. Thank you, our little our little IMDb man right here. Thank you so much for that, Sean. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another one where, kind of along the the lines of the Irishman, where I I really enjoyed it, and I, I don't think that this is a movie that, you know, I, I probably won't revisit this a hundred times over the next decade. But it's another one where if this one's best picture, I'm not gonna fucking complain online. Uh, which, by the way, if no matter who wins, don't fucking complain online, and. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to find a lot of major faults in in this movie, which is that's kind of my relationship with every Baumbach movie. Is even when I don't love it, I there's there's always something great in it. Mm-hmm. All right, are you guys are you guys ready? Now that we've covered movies that are actually like genuinely good. <laughs> oh boy, you ready yeah, to get into wanted, it? Are you ready for this shit? <laughs> yeah, just let me take a deep breath and just say that Marriage Story is very good, and then we'll uh, then we'll move into it. Thank you, Alistair. Okay. <laughs> All right. Rolling up my sleeves now. All right, here we go. Here we go. Every, everyone who's listening to this, they're like, "Oh, these guys are so fucking boring." Okay, now we're go- we're gonna get into it. Here it comes. So, if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's watching too many movies makes you do terrible things, like maybe starting a podcast or buying a region-free Blu-ray player. And nothing proves this incredibly true claim more than the Joker. The year is 1960. I'm filling my plastic lapel flower with water to mischievously squirt strangers with water, just as Cesar Romero instructed. The year is 1989. I'm defacing art, Joker style. The year is 2007. I've just completed the Dark Knight pencil challenge on my friend's face. The year is 2016. I've etched damaged into my forehead and dressed like a SoundCloud rapper. Finally, it's 2019. I'm an incel, or maybe a leftist, or maybe just an idiot. But all I know is that we are all clowns, and damn, I look good with my shirt off. I am the Joker. Myros, why was this your favorite movie of 2019? <laughs> this movie is a fucking atrocity. It's one of the most poorly made films of last year, I would say. I don't understand why anyone enjoys it. There's not a single aspect of the film that I think is redeemable in any way. Well, tell us how you really feel. I even think Joaquin Phoenix is, is shit in this movie. I think he's fucking awful. I think he's just overacting and he's just doing this one thing over and over again. It's a grading performance. It's a grading film. It takes all the wrong lessons from Scorsese and is made by an incompetent buffoon. I hope okay, he just we, we, go on to make Hangover 4 and never fucking make me watch another one of your movies again. 
Okay, we get it. You're not a body guy and you don't like dudes who smoke, okay? You don't have to be such a dick about it. Uh, before we tear this movie to asshole, I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here and say, thought it was fine. Absolutely fine. I think everything I've read, everything I've heard, I'm, I'm confused by the discourse. This is, this is not a dangerous movie. It is a derivative movie. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not a good movie or some sort That's, of like left-wing yeah. rallying cry. It fucking exists. It it's is a boring movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like, kind of boring. Yeah. And it's weird too because if you've seen King of Comedy, if you've seen Taxi Driver, if you've seen any number of movies that kind of cover the same ground that Joker is covering, then all this looks like to me is it's it's like Leatherface when he when he cuts off you know people's skin and then like glues it to himself so it's just like it's trying to posture as something while looking like something completely different and grotesque and, and incompetent and i just i don't i don't get the extreme hatred and i don't get the extreme praise it is just a movie that exists and will be forgotten in five years and hopefully we, we won't have to talk about this very much anymore. Okay, well, yeah, now we, let me let me defend my extreme hatred. It's not because I think it's some <laughs> subversive fucking thing that's a danger to society. I, I, my my <laughs> hatred is almost illuminated by that take because it is just the dumbest fucking movie. It it should not have. It doesn't have any social significance, and the fact that it's been attributed all of this importance. And anything for anyone to think this is dangerous or significant or anything is is just monumentally idiotic because this movie is a big dumb nothing and fuck off with it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like you're Jojo and and I'm the little Anne Frank girl right now. You know, we just we're just trying to meet in the middle on things. I do think I do think it's significant if we we look at you know Joker as a text and we say is Joker you know a, a worthwhile film. I, you know, I agree. I think it's kind of a nothing, kind of like a just a thin puff of air. But like, really, it it borrows extensively from Scorsese, and then also, really, it, you know, it kind of just leans on comic book lore. Like, if the Joker wasn't a pre-established character in pop culture, would anyone have even noticed this film? You know, no. if, even if it came out with the same, you know, kind of production value, even. If Joaquin Phoenix was playing the lead, would anyone care about this movie? Well, otherwise? actually, Jack, it's funny you say that because uh, the answer is you were never really here, and uh, that you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I didn't like that one either, and it was still better than this. Um, I will. I'm. I'm. I'm on the the kind of fence on it. I would disagree with Myers in that I think Phoenix is good in this film, um, in that he does something. Not quite in the same way as say like uh, John Leguizamo in uh, in in Spawn does something. But, or John um, Leguizamo in the past. Come on, don't. Or the don't. You know, like like sometimes it's just like there's not enough material, so the actor just has to like do something. And I think Phoenix just decides I'm going to dance. That's the film. He just he does all these interesting physical movements. It it feels like he is doing something distinctly different from the rest of the film. And he is, to me, I found it, he was the only reason I was looking at the screen, like, was to see what he was doing as kind of almost as a dancer in this kind of monotonous New York space, sorry, Gotham space. Um, you know, that Phoenix sells the film. He's he's going to win the Best Actor Oscar, I think. That's pretty much 
assured, assuring that more actors have won the Oscar for Joker than for Hamlet. Well, hold on, <laughs> hold on. He he definitely did the most acting here, so. Oh, sure, for for sure. Um, <laughs> although he never tried to play twenty-eight-year-old Phoenix, so <laughs> that's something. But yeah, I think Phoenix, at least you know he. I feel he comes out of this film looking okay. The film itself is muddled, confused. It opens up various readings. There, there certainly you can read it from a leftist perspective in terms of social malaise coming from conservative fiscal policies of. Uh, the inability of class solidarity i mean that it's so everyone is in a rabble kind of like what parasite would deal with but in much more efficient cinematic terms and like they're there but then it also just has these just you know kind of gives into right-wing delusions we have thomas wayne is portrayed uh, as kind of a rich asshole but he's also the victim of a of a nasty smear courtesy of joker's mom who's actually mentally ill you know and that kind of those kind of elements um kind of muddy the waters to a point where it's a film that doesn't commit to anything. It has no viable perspective or, you know, it, it, sometimes you can look at something and say there's a messy, complex nuance to it. The real world is rarely, you know, falls into even battle lines. But, you know, a film can capture that. This does, this is clearly, it's, it's messy because Todd Phillips doesn't have a point of view mm-hmm. worth having. And, that, yeah. and that's the film and it just it falls apart you know it it, reach, it goes down certain paths it goes down a bunch of different paths and each one gets cut off at a certain point before going to the jugular or doing anything and then it just turns in I mean it is it's the king of comedy like literally just watch the king of comedy it's a much better film um, and it's kind of incredible to me that he is that Phillips is riding out such an awards rage for this for so heavily auspiciously stealing from scorsese of course it's homage because it's you know if you steal in broad daylight it's homage but it's it's not interesting it's not he doesn't transform it it's literally just a worse version of a film we've all already seen well and todd phillips sucks ass that's that's kind of the bottom line here and he's the kind of filmmaker where he takes this material and instead of something doing something compelling or, or nuanced or interesting he I just felt like he was sitting next to me the whole time, kind of poking me in the ribs. Just going, that's fucked up, isn't it? Kind of fucked up. And, <laughs> and there, <laughs> there are parts where his, you know, that that kind of aggression, uh, it got it got a genuine chuckle out of me. I think there's there's two scenes that I, I genuinely enjoyed. Um, the whole stair dancing scene, I thought, is is hilarious only in the context of it's 2019 and this is, you know, one of the highest grossing films of the year. And here we are watching a guy in, in clown makeup dancing on stairs to Gary Glitter. And that's just, you know, on paper is just funny to me. And then there's the, also the a scene- Gary Glitter thing is, is the worst part for me. But sorry, go ahead. <laughs> the, the part that I, I thought was like it actually well-made scene and and really my biggest positive takeaway from the joker is where he's in the children's hospital and he's trying to entertain these kids as a clown and a gun just falls out of his pants and he's like whoops a daisy uh and i i laugh pretty hard at that but other than that I, I it's it's hard for me to really find anything to love there's a lot of stuff to hate and a lot of just crippling boredom in between all of that uh yeah Sean, did, did you, or Jake, did you, I mean, you pretty much yeah. are on the same wavelength as me on this one where you're just like, it's, I, it's fucking whatever. I'd say, yeah, I'd say what's most infuriating about this is the entire conversation before this movie because 
people were treating the Joker like it was going to activate every single white dude into becoming a mass shooter in society and movie theaters were freaking out. And then I went to see the movie and it's like the biggest shrug I've ever seen on screen. I don't think any of it is really good or, or masterful. I don't I don't think it's certainly not galvanizing and it makes me want to run out and, and kind of form my own identity as a as the clown prince of crime but yeah this is just the most okay whatever and i was happy to let it go but unfortunately unfortunately because it is tied to batman it ends up grossing over a billion dollars and now we have to contend with the fact that people are like praising it as this piece on oh my god if it's the mental illness it's so good and and like <laughs> michael michael moore came out writing a defense against this like the best thing he's seen in years and it's it's just really it's not that movie it's it's just such a blank uh, it, it, it it's not maddening yeah. that the cliff notes for a scorsese film could win more awards than a scorsese film yeah <laughs> yeah that's and that's also bad because it's that's also problematic too for me is that oh it's like this has dna from taxi driver and king of comedy and and Todd Phillips like even said, "Oh, I was inspired by Chantel Ackerman films from the '70s when I was making this movie." So I'm like, "Oh, dude, shut the fuck up!" No, you were not. It's this is just it's oh, mediocre garbage. Ackerman, I'd forgotten the Ackerman comments. That that is having watched the film since. That's amazing. Steve, let me ask you something. Would you believe it me if I told you that there is a Blade Runner style argument between Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips in this movie, where they don't know <laughs> if. He's the actual Joker, or if he's just a guy who inspires the Joker later on. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Well, according to Wikipedia, Joaquin Phoenix believes he is the actual Joker, and Todd Phillips believes that it's left intentionally ambiguous and that the Joker mm-hmm. was somebody who was is a guy later in life. But yeah, yeah. this film is fucking say- riddled with ambiguity. Fuck off. <laughs> I would say Phoenix looks like he knows what he's doing, so I would go with Phoenix on this one. Phillips at all points uh, demonstrates he's winging it, at, and the, the best analysis is he's winging it. The worst analysis is he has no idea what he's doing. And uh, here's, here's the bit. Oh, go ahead, Alistair. No, just, just to go back to that sort of insufferable Joker press call where he was talking about being inspired by Chantal Ackerman and everything, he was talking, he went into his sort of PC culture ran a few mm-hmm. days before it came out and how you can't make jokes about anything anymore. He's like, I have to make superhero movies because you can't make jokes about anything anymore. And like the most tedious aspect of Joker is the fact that they include a character with dwarfism uh, largely just so in one tenth scene the, the character with dwarfism can't open the door and it's just <laughs> like this is just a 12 year old idea of being edgy and not only have you included it in your film, you've had your cake and eaten it by complaining that you can't make this joke just days earlier. It's such a boring filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, it's... Oh, Jesus. You know, well, you know mean, what I'd say is that even incels deserve a, a better movie than this. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, I, have, I have been trying to read... Uh, because it was a very well liked film, and I've tried to like listen and understand as to why some people have responded to it so much. Um, and that led me back to cinemasander.com. Uh, <laughs> here we go! <laughs> and um, it's, it's a long essay about Joker on here, uh, for Farland Devin to actually. 
Um, but there's just one paragraph in here that I think just sums up why this has captured the mood, mood of the moment. He's Donald Trump. He's Jill Stein. He's the idea of voting for Brexit because it will be funny. He transcends ideology because the only ideology that matters right now is I'm mad as hell. He's the inchoate cry <laughs> against everything that is without a vision for anything better. This is why, in the end, Joker is a deeply juvenile movie. We live in a society. <sighs> we do. We absolutely do. That's Oh, he like totally before he spoiler alert shoots Robert De Niro in the head, he basically like says the thesis of the movie. It's like, what do you, he has that stupid punchline, what do you get when you have a loner who's rejected by society, and uh, it's, fuck. Yeah, I mean, it it does the whole ambiguity thing, but then it also has that, like, completely unnecessary montage to prove that Zazie Pete's character is uh, fictitious, which, yeah, I think we got that, like, clearly there's no relationship (laughs) between them, like, but still, they had to, like, clarify, it's like, by the way, she's made up, it's like, oh, really, thanks, Todd, great. Was, and why are we portraying? Scene, I was really feeling. I'm just saying, just during that moment, I was just really feeling like, yeah, this guy's really inspired by Tom Hardy. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't get why we're pretending this is like some anarchist uh, withdrawn like Joker portrayal. This is just like a fucking schizophrenic. It's just like this nonsense where he. There's no ideology behind this character. He's just mentally ill. Yeah, I I can't Jesus, I can't deal with the conversations around any of the ideology in this movie because Todd Phillips doesn't fucking have any. He has no original ideas in his head. It's like it's like watching the the Jordan Peterson like Slavo Zizek debate where Jordan Peterson's just incels need to clean their room. Masculinity is gone, and then Zizek's just well, it's ideology, and this, there's nothing. It's just it's just rambling back and forth. It's fucking noise. There's just nothing to this. It's it's completely fucking empty. <laughs> I can't handle it. Uh, but it still remains Sean Glynis's favorite film of 2019 as well. Yeah, I've been I've been shying away from my glowing praise, intimidated by you guys. <laughs> Sean, do you, do you have anything positive to say about this movie? No, I mean, I don't think it's like the worst thing ever, but I also just think it's like a complete blank. And I think that Walking Phoenix, I'm on team bad. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up that it's not the worst thing ever made uh, because we have another contender for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as you guys know, cinema has a long and story history of hilarious Nazi comedy from Hogan's heroes gracing our TV sets with Adam Myros's personal hero Bob Crane to Jerry Lewis's The Day the Clown Cried, Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful and the all-time comedy classic Come and See. Taika Waititi has decided to join this illustrious group with a fun-filled World War II romp that is brave enough to ask the question, why can't we just hug the fascism away? Sean, why was Jojo Rabbit your favorite film of 2019? Um, I think there's something pretty slick going on with Jojo Rabbit and that um, (laughs) I don't know if a lot of people caught this but uh, it's set in the 40s and so you kind of think it's like this historical film about this this time that you know we're still grappling with what happened then and I think what Taika Waititi does is say, actually, maybe this type of thing is still going on like right now. Um, what he means by this type of thing is that we're being a little too mean to people um, and that we need to sort of like come to an understanding. Um, 
And so I don't know. I guess I, I know that's kind of a big thing. So I'm just going to lay it out and let you guys <laughs> discuss that. <laughs> okay, Have I'm you gonna, hugged I'm a gonna, Nazi today? Go go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to be the Adam Myros in this one. I hate this film. Uh, this is the worst film I've seen from last year. Uh, effortlessly, abo- like it's a comedy and it's not funny. So we can't even, you know, there's not even no. competent comedic work in it. But yeah, I mean, it's basically apologia for nazis it sort of comes to this it it underlining the entire thing is kind of that nazis were people too and that no no people who were nazis and served the nazis and worked for the nazis and upheld nazi ideals and helped the nazi uh, regime continue doing all the things the nazis did they weren't real nazis unless they were also bad people uh, fundamentally it's it's just uh, uh, that Hitler is kind of he's an imaginary friend to the boy in this film, our our protagonist, uh, but he's also like Hitler's rantings and ravings and racist ideology. It's really just like a niggling insecurity we all need to kick kick out a window, literally. Um, the film has oodles of sympathy for Germans, while basically the sole Jewish character in the film spends her time also sympathizing with Nazis. Um, the, the film is just an absolute clusterfuck of terrible ideas played out in the kind of weakest kind of political uh, kind of soup you could ever imagine. Just this terrible middling kind of centrist idea of like really, I mean, Steve, you're joking, but no, it's, it's really, it's kind of like, you know, Nazis were misunderstood and we just need to outreach them and we'll bring them into the middle and the middle is where everything's fine, you know, because the right is like, lots of genocide and the left is like no genocide so a little genocide and that's that's jojo rabbit in a nutshell i think to use use an americanism uh it is the pete Buttigieg of the world season (laughs) that's that's a great way of putting it it's sadly it's more popular or i guess funnily it's more popular (laughs) imagine losing that to, to jojo rabbit i just can't so I tried to watch this with Susan and she lasted 15 minutes before just like walking out of the room and she just didn't come back. So that's great. Um, And for me, I spent the rest of the runtime just mumbling. I hate this to myself for about 90 minutes, which is always, Mm -hmm. always great. Always great. Love that in a movie. Uh, I was completely overwhelmed by this. I thought it would be not that funny, but maybe okay. That was my, uh, I guess, optimistic uh, going into a mindset and oh boy, there is just layers of shit here. Um, yeah, no, this is this is like the like like this is collateral beauty or the book of Henry, just absolutely just a misjudgment of everything. And yet, for some reason, this film is in award season and like is winning. It's gonna win Oscars. It could win the top Oscars. Not you know not entirely. It just won the Writers Guild. If this wins uh, Best Picture, I, I swear, I am not going to watch the Oscars again. <laughs> <laughs> you wish that was true. Yeah, at least for another year. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, when I, when I was joking earlier about, you know, different World War II movies, and I mentioned uh, The Day the Clown Cried, uh, so Jerry Lewis in the 70s, which is kind of past the point of 
Jerry Lewis prominence in American pop culture. This was this was his big project, the big thing that he wanted to make. So he wanted to make a, a, a World War II comedy. So he created this movie around a character where he played a clown that gets sent to a concentration camp and then has the job of like clowning around with the children to clown him into the gas chamber. And then after he was finished shooting it and then he screened it for some people and he realized after the fact that what he made was absolutely horrific and kind of trivialized World War II and fascism and Nazism. So instead of putting the movie out, he just cut his losses and put it in a vault and said that no one could fucking see it until the year 2024. So we're, we're getting close, guys. Uh, and then that basically it ruined his career for a decade until he was his career was revived by Martin Scorsese with the, in The King of Comedy. And honestly, that's probably what should have happened here. I think this movie should be thrown in a vault and Taika Waititi should be banned from making movies for a decade because I, I, I can't even begin to unpack how just profoundly shitty this film's message is and all the all the little wrinkles in it from Sam Rockwell the the hilarious gay Nazi to the mm. aloof imaginary Hitler to the doting mother to, to all of this shit and even this the the directorial choices here I also think are completely insane where all of the violence that's happening it's either happening off screen or as an audience, we're shielded from it. So there's a scene where Jojo is at Hitler Youth Camp and he blows himself up with a grenade. But instead of being horrifically disfigured in a meaningful way, he's perfectly fine, but he has like a, a cool scar. And uh, there's a part where uh, his mother uh, is hung for doing anti-Nazi things. And this isn't shown to us as viewers. We just see her fucking feet and nothing else. This is one. This is one of the most confusing parts of film for me because early on they 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 have routine things. They remind us that the Nazis were actually pretty bad uh, by having people hanged in a public square. And it's this is the film is set towards the end of World War Two and like a recurring discussion point for all the characters is how hard things are how they all believe that the nazis are doing really well because because hitler says they are but they don't have any goods they're scrounging for food they're having difficulty you know making ends meet uh, as the noose tightens around the nation and yet all these hanged bodies are all wearing shoes and i was really confused by this early on in the film it's like they're, you know that just looks like an incredibly weird choice from a production design you know they wouldn't have shoes the shoes would be stolen these people are clearly scrounging for anything. And it turns out the only reason they're wearing his shoes is, like, say, so they cannot show Jojo Rabbit's mom being hanged. And instead we get this really incongruent kind of edit where he suddenly recognizes her by her shoes, but we never see her in person. It's just her shoes. And she has specific nice loafers that she's wearing that we can recognize to identify that that's her hanging there. And it's such a, like, a bizarre dis kind of idea that in this film about a nation starving to death under a, basically a death cult um, that everyone still, you know, user goods are left out in the open so that we can have this one absolutely asinine uh, kind of scene which is again escaping, kind of putting on the kids' gloves to keep us safe and not have to really indulge in anything. Plus um, Jojo Rabbit's mom is the most baffling thing in this film is she's she's portrayed very sympathetically she's anti-nazi she does not support the nazis she actually you know she's hiding a jewish person in her house etc etc 
she's a good person, quote unquote good person. And yet when her son is injured and basically he's kicked out of the Nazi youth, he can't participate anymore because he's, he's physically injured and, you know, which is telling Nazi ideology about physical perfection and everything. He's, he's pushed out. Um, and rather than carrying that about Jojo realizing maybe that this ideology has problems and that he's now an outsider to it, his mom fucking sassily knees a Nazi officer in the nuts and makes him give him extra jobs for the Nazi party so that he doesn't <laughs> feel left out. And it's like, how is that, like, how does being a good mom and making sure your kid isn't, doesn't feel left out, how does that mesh with promoting Nazi ideology on the ground every day by having your kid do free labor for them. It's dude, insane. It's called, it's, called being, it's called being an alpha wine mom, dude. You got to make sure your kid's out front getting all the work that he can, all right? Uh, <laughs> it's just baffled. Like, how did this script happen? I, I have no idea. My question, though, I, I wonder if Alistair can, can kind of weigh in on this one. Uh, what do you think about like a Taika Waititi sequel where it's it's like Mussolini but he vapes? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean this has clearly been a box office sensation, so I think that uh, Taika Waititi is going to be going through uh, all of the great dictators of history uh, next. Um, I can't wait for his Stalin movie. Um, mm. That's sure to be the award season sensation of 2022. Um, but yeah, no, um, all about Jojo uh, Rabbit is it's clearly Taika Waititi trying to basically do a Third Reich spin on one of his earlier films, which was this uh, sort of small character comedy called Boy, which was about uh, like a little 10-year-old kid in New Zealand who's sort of dead big dad returned. Uh, he, you know, he's basically grown up without a father, and his dad returned, and it was him sort of trying to measure up the idea of a father in his mind with the reality that his dad was basically a waste of, waste of space. And Waititi has clearly thought, what if I do this, but instead of a deadbeat dad, it's Hitler. And <laughs> that doesn't really work as a concept in any way. Uh, and the insane thing is, this is based on a book that isn't uh, a comedy. It's based on a drama book. Um, the imaginary Hitler thing is completely invented for the film. Because uh, I guess you did kind of drop dead thread or something. Or what drop dead thread with Hitler? And he, <laughs> instead, by including this, Hitler's oath, it's just strange because the character performs the same narrative function as the Sam Rockwell character, and it feels like this is just an unnecessary addition to make this project that shouldn't be kitschy at all, like, more campy, more funny, and it's just totally a mess. Um, and also, just on a side note, uh, I love uh, seeing the Hitler youth being depicted as lovely and carefree and kind of like a nice kingdom. <laughs> there's nothing better. There's there's really nothing better. Sam Rockwell's character, though, holy shit. Like, I cannot in recent memory think of a worse character in a movie. Just That's homophobic, Steve. Uh, <laughs> Well, there was uh, Sam Rockwell's character in Three Billboards. <laughs> <laughs> Rockwell it's kind is quartering of a Marcus. <laughs> I just, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. It's just like, let's play on gay tropes to make a goofy Nazi man, but then also Twisteroo at the end, he's sympathetic? Yeah, and I, Ta Taika Waititi has done an interview like in the past couple of weeks. Uh, basically, he was asked about the Sam Rockwell character. 
Because at the end he comes uh, into the battlefield, like wearing the cape and fancy gay shit on it. Um, and basically, Takamatiti has just said, just completely serious, that yeah, he finally accepts himself and who he is. And it's just like, the man's like, this doesn't change He's anything. literally, literally fighting for the Nazis. <laughs> and and beyond yeah. that, he's not just a, a private in the German army. He's fucking running some sort of camp to uh, indoctrinate the youth of Germany in the ways of Hitler. Yeah. It's <laughs> but it's, it's, it's okay, because he doesn't really believe any of that. He's just going along with it. And that's the problem with fascism, is you just got to tell him to stop going along with it, and everything's cool. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, that's, this that's film it. also this film also reinforces the myth that the German populace en masse had no idea about the Holocaust, uh, which is not true. And there's a there's a little film, a little nine and a half hour long documentary called Shoah that goes into great detail on this. And I feel like Claude Landsman, who dedicated his life to chronicling the, the, the Holocaust and the various perspectives and the society that led up to it. I genuinely feel if he were still alive, he would track down Watiti and beat the ever-loving shit out of him <laughs> for this film. Gone too soon. Yeah, I just I just picture him doing the uh, the Simpsons like Lennon gag where he just bursts out of the glass case and just chokes the fucking life out of Taika Watiti. Uh, this is it's it's maddening to me, and I, I it's another one too where I I don't I don't understand what people seeing this i mean there's there's even fuck there's like a, a guardian headline that is why jojo rabbit should win the best picture oscar I, what why how about where's where's the article why jojo rabbit every last copy of it should be ceremoniously burned that's <laughs> that's a better well, that's a, approach that's a to very take. nazi thing to say steve <laughs> you know what maybe maybe if you guys hugged me a little bit more and that, that would be uh, the headline then, jojo jojo rabbit made me a nazi how about that? Like, what? You know, it made me want to go to book burnings of this. <laughs> Seems like a great time. They had fun at camp. I'm, I'm confused by this movie more than anything. It's just, what is it even trying to do? I have no fucking idea. Whatever well, it's trying it, to do, it fails miserably. And it's an anti-hate satire. It, it says so on the poster, Miles. What is even the point of setting this in, in Nazi Germany, other than just being like edgelord asshole and, and fucking trying to get attention for doing it so that no one has to feel offended i mean like literally that's it's a film that is designed to make no one take responsibility for anything that's yeah. the, the fundamental politics of this is just kind of we could all just do with being a little nicer to each other as if the you know fascism isn't like a carefully orchestrated purposeful system to eradicate peoples um <laughs> And, and instead, it's like, you know, maybe if we just talked a little more as neighbors. No, that won't work. That yeah. didn't work before. This is, and like, we, I mean, the joke is for so many films, it's like, is this the film we need right now? Jojo Rabbit is the film no one needs ever. <laughs> um, it is a blight on our society, and that's still giving it too much credit. It just, it should be ignored forever. And if you Go want ahead. to watch a, a Rebel Wilson film that's still still in cinemas, um, <laughs> Cats is still on release and is much better. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100. Uh, percent Rebel Wilson at no point in Jojo Rabbit unzips her skin, so I, I see that <laughs> as uh, problematic. Uh, that was one of my favorite moments of 2019. So, you know, that's that's kind of an issue. Uh, I just 
yeah, I, 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 this is it's fucking exhausting. Sean, what, what did you? I, I know you, you had some trouble with this one, and you mm-hmm. did it under the best of circumstances, where you had other people in the room with you and you were drinking. Uh, how, how, how did this just? How did you feel watching this? I, I want to know. Uh, sincerely baffled. Um, like the stuff with like Scarlett Johansson's like hanging and stuff is just like so. It's so cynical the way it preys on viewers um but you know i was thinking about um between this primarily this but also something like 1917 where um like i I keep thinking about mike lee's peterloo which uh ran theatrically last year and um how that is like this historical adult drama that's like um just painfully uh, detailed in its recreation of um, the Waterloo Massacre, and this, but this, you know, this time period, it has this look that has the same ambitions, uh, ostensibly, as something like 1917, like to reach this group of people that like these very sort of dour things that tell you about the. Uh, this nasty stuff and it, it's just like harrowing and, and all this stuff but um and, and just like seeing how that is just like sort of just fell on dead ears it felt like um and how much more appropriately that talks about um massacres and takes the point of view of people trying their best to figure shit out but also nuances in the proletariat like just how frustrating it is to deal with mm. um this like ruling class um and just to see like something so earnest uh is really really beautiful movie and then just like see it just ignored for something like this that like i said it's just like so cynical and just like praise on uh with its affectations like just praise on viewers it's just like really bad uh, the, the only way that i can contextualize this in my head is like this is a movie that people who think the last five years of SNL have been funny and they get excited for every week when Alec Baldwin trots out as Trump and reads from a teleprompter. Like those are the people who think this is important and hilarious. That's, that's it. Like that's, that's the only way Mm -hmm. that I can figure this movie out in my fucking head. And that's my, my question as a comedy, uh, does anyone remember any jokes in this? There's one joke where a guy, a kid throws a knife and it bounces off a tree and stabs him in the leg. And that's the only, like that's the only joke I remember, you know, in this entire film, that it's ostensibly a comedy. There's a couple, there's, like, there's a couple of lines that are basically like the "tell me how you really feel" type of thing. There's one point as like, well where Hitler says something like "modern." Uh, Stephen yeah, Merchant, Stephen Merchant one Stephen stands Merchant out as a memorable in its annoyance. Ah. It's just like them saying "Heil Hitler" like seventy-five times in the span of thirty oh, seconds. Oh, I'd forgotten that. L- scene. Lest we forget, the opening scene of this movie is a two-minute screaming match between Jojo and imaginary Hitler on how to pronounce Heil Hitler that goes on forever. That's when I knew I was in trouble was with that sequence. Um, but probably, if as far as jokes go, I think the worst joke in the movie for me is when uh, Sam Rockwell's um, associate brings in German shepherds to the uh, office because they needed dogs for their mission 
but he says I meant German shepherds, not actual German shepherds. Oh which yeah, is, I've forgotten a, that too. Which is such a which such a weird, stupid joke. It would be like if Taika made a movie in America that said, "I need some American women," and somebody got a bunch of Guess Who CDs. But um, that's it, uh, you mean Lenny Kravitz. It, yeah. it locks into something within the film as well. So I, I'd forgotten to mention previously, which is, I mean, if the 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 part of that joke is perhaps a German Shepherd is what non-German people maybe refer to the dog as. So it's it's this <sighs> reinforcement that none of this is that this isn't a German film. There's no German people in it, which brings me back to one of those things that I really thought we'd given up in film, which is that everyone puts on a shitty accent. For the whole film, uh. they like put on terrible little German accents. They have kids trying to do bad German accents, which, frankly, if we're talking about getting closer to each other and and being nice to everyone, should we not be like stop having like kids just throw like taking child actors aside and helping them to do the shittiest, most stereotypical, generic German accent ever? And trotting that out on a worldwide stage, like I, I don't understand why they bothered with accents. There's swastikas everywhere, and they keep talking about Germany. We know where it's set. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah. God, I, I, you know, just thinking about the the comedy heavy finger quotes over that. I, I don't think like any any of the satirical elements here are completely incoherent, and really, it just it leans on some pretty obvious physical gags which kind of run the gamut of fine to not funny and then every other joke in here it just feels like a super watered down like monty python gag that was left on the cutting room floor at some point yeah and nothing else hits at all i feel i i i'm surprised he didn't call it nazi verse jew <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's the alternate title it it really it it should have they should have gone with I've that I've heard one. of several, like, uh, I think, I don't know who said it on That's Twitter. for the real white TT heads. Mo- Moonrise Kristallnacht. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the last thing I want to touch on with this is kind of the, 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 cent- the heart of the movie, if you will, the relationship between JoJo and our Anne Frank analog and how that builds to a completely stupid fucking ending. Uh... Could, could someone just... I just need someone to explain this to me. I, I can't. My brain doesn't work anymore. What the fuck is this supposed to be? I, I get this is like the whole, you know, we just got to... The Nazis and the Jews got to hug it out. I, I think that's the point that he's going for here. But what the fuck even is is this this relationship? I don't I don't understand it. So, and, and to, be, to be clear, JoJo literally stabs this girl. And yet they're they're buddies, right? That's that's what this is. Explain this to me, Alistair. Just fucking break it down. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm I'm sweating. I can't deal with this. I mean, it's massively incoherent, but it also has like for me the most completely dumb moment in the movie where all the time this kid is repeatedly talking about how he hates Jewish people, and despite him that propaganda of this this Jewish girl, and then at one point she just eventually says. You're not really a Nazi. You don't believe any of this stuff. You're just a kid who likes playing dresser or something. And there's no like sort of preemptive moment before that. It's just a case of oh, they need to be friends because this is obviously an anti-hate satire, and he needs to see the error of his ways. Even though there's no organic build-up to that revelation, it's just very lazily written. It's just like mm-hmm. well, the audience knows that Nazis are bad, so. The kid can just 
automatically think that now, because that mm-hmm. is what he needs to believe for the audience to be on his side. And, yeah, then the final ten minutes, like, you think that as soon as World War II's over, like, it would get, it you know, get better. But no, no, he's, he's thrown some shit in the final ten minutes, where he starts going, like, saying, oh, no, the war isn't over, he can stay, stay here in my attic. Uh, it goes all a bit Jody Fitz and that. And he, then they get out and there's a dance to David Bowie and there's just no questioning about the fact that he was just going to lie to her indefinitely so he can stay there. It's just like, everything's fine. We're just going to have a little dance and uh, that's no credits. Dude, nah. JoJo's more of an incel than the Joker is, honestly. <laughs> you know, he's he spends the whole time like gaslighting a woman and being a Nazi, and then just tries to dance it away at the end like it's no big deal. And yeah, so fuck JoJo. Uh, the other thing that was running through my head during this is just I, I was thinking about the the kid in Knives Out, uh, who's kind of like a little shithead, like alt right Nazi troll or whatever, and. The way that he's portrayed is everybody knows what he is and they're like, yeah, he's a fucking shithead. And that's all there is to it. Whereas Jojo is like doing actual Nazi shit, but he's all cute and precocious and we just kind of wave it away. And he doesn't he doesn't really believe in that. So everything's okay and everything's fine. And God, this just it it fucking grated on me. This is an exhausting movie to watch. I I can't deal with it. I just want to mention, as a side note, I've just remembered that uh, Sean Baker, yeah, the director of The Florida Project and Tangerine, uh, named that his two favorite films of 2019 were Jojo Rabbit and Joker. So I just need to need to flag that one up. <laughs> he is baffling to me. I really like Sean Baker's films. I've seen him talk about his films. He's really interesting, and he works with great people. And then, yeah, and then he just he posts online, and he should not be allowed to do that ever. Because everything he says online is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> I just, I, I love, <laughs> I love his letterbox reviews because it'll just be like, oh, Starsky and Hutch, 2002. Uh, yeah, terrible comedy, but I, I love the 35 millimeter compositions in this one. Really, mm-hmm. you know, I, the lighting yeah, is exquisite. Just, <laughs> his whole thing is like, it would have looked better if it was shot on film. And it's like, you broke through with an iPhone movie. Just <laughs> stop. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. Well, before we get to the end of our show, we do our putovers. Uh, do any of you guys have any idea, like, who, who do you think is going to win? Because I'm going, I'm going darkest timeline here, and I think, I think JoJo isn't going to win, but Joker, Joker's going to win Best Picture. That's where we're at right now. And JoJo will probably get Best Adapted Screenplay or something horrible like this. But do you guys, do any of you guys see an actual good movie winning Best Picture? Nope. Yeah, no, a few, uh, a few weeks ago I thought once upon a time in Hollywood might, but now it just seems like that's just going to get a drink of that bit and nothing else. Yeah, maybe screenplay, but I, I'm, I'm gonna remain optimistic that op, that uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is gonna win. Yeah, it, that's, that's my pick as well. I think they're gonna give the lifetime yeah. achievement to Tarantino with uh, a week. You know, there's no like super front runner in this, so yeah, just give it to Tarantino. Yeah, I've just, I've, I've completely. I've lost all hope. Because if it's not that, then it's probably 1917. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm kind of resigned to 1917 and Sam Mendes doing Best Picture, Best Director, which is not the worst, (laughs) because, like, although I actually think Joker is 
is a more tolerable film than 1917 to just have to sit through. I think Todd Phillips is a worse director than Sam Mendes. Somehow that, that came through to me. Uh, neither are doing particularly well, though. And it is incredible. The Writers Guild yesterday uh, just gave the best adapted screenplay to Jojo Rabbit over Little Women. That oh my god is a very, that's a very <laughs> bad omen i, I mean could, is there a special category that sam mendes could win for like best shot of a soldier's back because <laughs> i have i haven't seen anybody really nail it the way he did this year so that's that's something i guess all right boys well let's wrap this one up uh we're gonna do our putovers alistair i, I know you're an avid listener probably not but you, you should be and uh we like to do this thing at the end of the show where we, we choose something good that we've seen or listened to or consumed recently uh, and, and put it over for our audience. So, uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? See, I didn't assume we didn't do this for the other Oscar episode here. I thought yeah, you were going to ask me. I fucked you guys me, up like, on the last one. I thought you were going to ask me, like, which JoJo rabbit am I or something? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which JoJo <laughs> rabbit character are you, Myros? That's the alternate question that you can go with if you've got uh, nothing to put over. Rebel Wilson? <laughs> Uh, what makes you a Rebel Wilson? Uh, girth. <laughs> <laughs> like, are we talking like general or just like hog? Uh, I don't know. I might compete in both areas. Yeah, Rebel Wilson's famous for her elephant cock. <laughs> Probably prefer to be remembered for that than, than Jojo Rabbit in a year or two, I'm hoping. Okay. Actually, you know what? For the rest of you guys, you can either put something over or answer the question, who looks better in a cat suit, Rebel Wilson or Adam Myros? So, uh, Jack, how about you? Uh, I'm going to avoid the Myros angle on this. Um, I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to be real boring. But uh, Andy Gill died recently. Uh, guitarist for Gang of Four. So I'm just going to put over Gang of Four. If you've never listened to like <laughs> Entertainment or Solid Gold or Songs of the Free or uh, pretty much any Gang of Four album listen to it and it's you'll like it and if you don't like it you you're a bad person i don't understand you yeah also and they're so one yeah. of the few bands uh, along with wire from that era like late 70s early 80s where their new shit is actually pretty good too so that's yep. that's worth checking out yeah, absolutely i would recommend their first three but honestly any just get in there if you're unfamiliar you've got amazing things to discover so i'm putting yeah. over gang of four but uh not on spotify so you know buy their albums I guess, or steal them if you want to, if that's your thing. Uh, Alistair, what are you putting over this week? Uh, so, yeah, we've been talking about uh, awards movies, and every year I get some award screeners, and this year was a fairly sort of mundane crop that wasn't much that I liked. Um, but one uh, thing that was sent, uh, uh, I think it was the season that was sent called Cinnamons, uh, which Kino Love put out in the US last year, he never received UK distribution. Um, it won the Golden Bear at last year's Berlin Film Festival. I think it's a really sort of interesting, a very abrasive uh, tale of an Israeli immigrant who moves to Paris, and he basically is trying to adapt to a new identity and basically move into a culture that fetishizes him for being an immigrant, even as he's trying to present himself as something not. And I think it's a... A very good movie that has largely been overlooked despite its festival wins. So yeah, please see that without seeing it. All right, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Um, yeah, so I like long movies, uh, and I hope you do too, because I'm going to recommend a five-hour movie uh, directed by Wim Wenders called "Until the End of the World." Uh, it is a film of his that was largely unavailable, aside from being in a much uh, 
compromised a two-hour version, I believe. But it's recently been restored by Criterion, and it looks gorgeous. Um, and uh, it's now actually streaming on the Criterion channel. So if you subscribe to that, you can watch it for free. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a fantastic movie about um, two people. Basically, it's basically one. The first half is one giant road movie, and then the second half is just one gorgeous movie about dreams and i don't want, want to get too into it without saying more but uh it also has one of the no spoilers yeah it also has one of the greatest soundtracks uh, to a movie ever because uh when wenders contacted a bunch of his favorite artists like uh david byrne and rem and he basically asked them to write a song about what they think the future of music would sound like and it kicks ass so yeah until the end of the world is great i highly recommend it all right sean how about you uh, I want to put over uh, Kelly Reichardt's filmography. I recently just went back through it. I had seen all of them but one, and um, but uh, her movie, her new movie, First Cow, is going to come out in about a month. So um, I would say uh, check them out or really check them out uh, beforehand because um, I found it really, uh, uh, really. Uh, beneficial time and, and a lot of them um, were even better than I remember so yeah cool uh, I'm gonna break all the rules and I'm gonna put over a bunch of shit uh, first of all as much as I admire Rebel Wilson in a cat suit uh, Adam Myros will always be my number one cat daddy uh, so he gets he gets my vote in that category uh, I want to put over Night Tide which I just watched the other day there's a brand new blu-ray from indicator it's a really beautiful set with a nice big thick booklet in it and this was a super cheap movie from like 1960 uh it's got dennis hopper in it and it's kind of like i don't know what if splash was a horror movie in a sense uh it's got some Tournier vibes and uh yeah if, if you're if you're into like the, the whole like val luton horror period it's it's fantastic it's in the same mold as that. It's definitely something you should seek out. It was restored from a private print owned by Nicholas Winding Refn. So even though I don't like most of the shit that he makes, I'm glad that he collects rare shit and is willing to give it to people for restoration so they can give it to me and I can watch it. Uh, definitely check out Night Tide if you get a chance to. Uh, I also want to put over the most fucked up thing I've seen on TV in a long time, which is the hour-long special that aired on NBC to debut the trailer of Fast 9 which is real fucking weird if you want to see a giant stage in the middle of a major American city with like half of a crowd that's not enthusiastic at all and Vin Diesel yelling at you. Uh, that's fantastic. And finally, I want to put over a letterbox review from my girl, Allison M., that she dropped the other day. This one is for <laughs> Black Mother. Uh, she caught Black Mother on movie. <laughs> And she says she was struck by this beautiful glimpse into the daily lives of Jamaicans. And you know there's some vegan alerts. Vegan alert, a man asks for chicken. <laughs> but just so you know, there's vegan points. A man talks about not eating meat while healing people. And also there's a reference to people in the country being stronger than those that go to KFC and other fast food places. So shout out to my girl, Allison M. Always bringing the oh. fire. Uh, really just at the vanguard of contemporary film criticism. We love her. All right, guys. So if you 
are listening to this podcast right now, do us a big favor. Go into the description of this podcast. Click on the link. That'll take you to our iTunes page. Please rate and review our podcast. All you have to do is give it five stars and write, Adam Myros looks great in a cat suit. That's all we need. It helps our visibility. The more visible we are, the more people listen, and then the more we can do for you, dear listener. So uh, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, you can reach us on Twitter at Optimism Vaccine. Or you can email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. You know, Adam Myros is refreshing the inbox uh, 37 times a day to make sure he catches all of your important emails. So make sure you do that. Uh, If you want to bother me specifically, at Steve Cuff, that's Steve, C-U-F-F. And uh, Jack, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Real Jack Eason. That's Real J A C K E A S O N. And I post far too much. So please give me prompts or just annoy me, whatever. All good. Our boy is a poster. That is for sure. Uh, Sean, where do people find you? Sean Glennis at Letterboxd. Jake, how about you? I'm on all things as uh, Jake Tropila. Jake T R O P I L A. Send me a message. uh, I'll say hello. Myros is not on the internet because he lives on a fucking farm. Uh, Alistair, where can people read your work and bother you on the internet? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at yes, it's Alistair. Alistair spelled A L I S T A I R. Yeah, you can read my work here, there, and everywhere. Film Inquiry, the Digital Fix, got a little piece for the BFI coming in a few weeks. So keep your eyes peeled for that, kids. Do you have a uh, that that Buddhist piece on the religious <laughs> themes of uh, old school going up on Cinema Sangra? Is that still happening? Um, well, I didn't want you to break it on air. Um, but, oh, sorry. But yes, you know that's that's still in the works. Uh, um, you know, I'll do I'll do anything for for, for Devin to, to get him get him those Patreon <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> Thank you. Doing the Lord's work as always. All right, uh, Jake. Last words yours. It is what it is. Fuck yeah.